welcome to episode 185 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our podcast this week, we're going to chat about the top tech stories of 2016. So uh, there's been uh, a lot going on this year, especially uh, as the uh, U.S. presidential election uh, happened and all the tech around that. Uh, and we wanted to highlight uh, those stories that were the the tops of, of this year. Of course, this is our opinion and uh, feel free to let us know any of the top stories that we missed. I'm going to start with number six on my list, which is that uh, our friends at Twitter uh, cannot get acquired uh, to save their lives, unfortunately. And this is despite, you know, as I mentioned, the U.S. presidential elections where our president-elect has, you know, really raised the profile of Twitter internationally, mainly because, you know, during the election, he was communicating that way with all of his followers. And now after the election, apparently it's his preferred way to communicate uh, with the world at large, because uh, he still continues to use it, much to the chagrin, probably, of his handlers. But nonetheless, Twitter is, you know, uh, sort of his top communication tool, and uh, he is, you know, the most powerful man on the planet. So so Twitter almost, has that. Almost, not yet. The, not elect, yet. right? Yeah. So Twitter has that in its, um, you know, sort of reputation-building profile. Uh, but despite that, uh, and and perhaps, uh, you know, this is a, a just sort of a sign of what Twitter is, you know, despite all of the publicity, all of the uh, uh, use that it gets, uh, it can't grow the number of users uh, like its uh, competitor, Facebook. And, and it also uh, can't quite figure out the right business model that would monetize uh, all this usage and fame. So... It appears like Twitter will not get acquired, whether it's, you know, someone like Google or, you know, the aforementioned Facebook or even Apple. I, I could see Google or uh, Facebook having a good reason to acquire Twitter, but maybe not for the $18 billion valuation. Dirk, you're, uh, you're a Twitter user. Do you think uh, they'll ever get acquired or do you think they'll just... Uh, fade into the sunset or figure out a business model, maybe. Certainly at some point they'll get acquired. Uh, there's too much money to be lost to not sell for at least um, something well below what they hoped and their investors are driving for at some point, a uh, point that I don't think they're at yet. You know, business model, um, they, haven't, they haven't found it yet. I mean, I'm not seeing an obvious business model in the current, you know, sort of internet technologies stack for Twitter. Um, I mean, look, there's theoretical business models. They have business model now, quote unquote, business model with promoted tweets um, and, and other rubbish, which is, you know, following sort of the, the old school commercial approach to, to attempting to monetize. So that is a business model. It's not a very successful one. Um, you know, I, the question is, how will Internet technologies evolve in the years ahead and how could that you know, meta platform and the platforms within it, um, you know, better enable a product like Twitter based on ease of use, free information, network effects, access to celebrity um, 
among others, not just celebrities, of course, you know, the, for that to be brought together in a way that it can make money. Right now it can't because, you know, they've given it away for free. I mean, maybe they had to give it away for free in this environment. And um, the reality is if now they yanked it, somebody else would give it away for free because even if you can't find a, a business model around it, the power of the platform is immense. The fact that we are all essentially directly connected to everyone else, except for the very few who, um, either the very few who don't opt for Twitter at all, even though they're they're famous and, and would benefit from it, or the people who are unknown and not sort of relevant to a networked effects conversation at that level. I mean, we're connected to everyone, you know, other than those exceptions. So um, super powerful, super valuable in non-capitalist ways, but not super valuable, um, you know, relative to the investment, relative to the expectation, relative to the scale of their burn, uh, you know, within within a, a normal business structure. Yeah, Twitter is the sort of news-breaking uh, method, and, and you know, re- reporters are all over Twitter looking for, you know, what's, what's happening right now. Uh, I remember when... Uh, that uh, plane landed on the Hudson River. Um, uh, Sully. That's right, right. Uh, landed that plane, and, uh, you know, there, there were photos of, of, you know, around that event up on Twitter fairly quickly, uh, which is pretty astonishing. So um, I don't know that any news organizations would necessarily uh, be able to purchase Twitter or, or really benefit from, you know, they benefit from, from the news feed, not necessarily from, from owning that feed. Uh, but it is, you know, one of the more important news-breaking uh, uh, channels that we have. So, and I, I really enjoy Twitter, so I, I hope it finds a way to, uh, to make it. I'm sort of a light Twitter user. Um, I, I wouldn't say I really enjoy it, but I do see the value in it. I think, and look, John, the bigger question is, uh, your, your Hudson River example was a good one. Uh, we, do we need the news in the way that the news has become accepted as a thing in our lives? Do we need to know that that plane was coming down? Do we need to know that that plane landed on the Hudson River at all? Much less do we need to know that that plane landed on the Hudson River two minutes within it actually happening. I mean, certainly the latter is completely unnecessary. I mean, that's first world privilege at the, you know, at, at the max. I would say even, even the other isn't necessary. We don't need that bit of news. That news is not relevant to us. I mean, there are some people in Manhattan or in places where, um, you know, the plane was coming, destinations, very specific people. But for, you know, our nation of 300 million plus people to, or let's take the whole world, you know, 6 billion or whatever the number is now as it continues to spiral upwards, um, totally unnecessary to know that there was this plane accident on the Hudson River at that time that it ever happened. It's, a, it's unnecessary. We've become conditioned to thinking that all of this stuff is necessary. Oh, my God, there's a child in a well in Guatemala. Oh, my God, this. Oh, my God, that. I mean, 99% of what we get on the news, we don't need. And you could argue is bad for us in, in a number of, of different psychological ways. So, the, the sort of meta question over all of this Twitter stuff is, you know, is this urgency, this notion of how it fits into some view of news in, in, in the global world uh, even relevant? And I think, I think no. I think that we, we've been taught it as we've been conditioned to it being. But my life would be better if I stopped hearing about 
you know, the person who sawed somebody's head off on a bus in, you know, Africa or all the crazy rubbish. I mean, um, it just makes me sad and depressed and fearful and um, suspicious. <laughs> it's not it's not good at all. It's I don't know. It's not good at all. Well, that is a uh, we're, we're going to have to do a, a news show, I can tell. Um, <laughs> but we'll we'll move on to our, our next story, which is. Also a um, uh, a business related story, and 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 that is of uh, Verizon eating up uh, Yahoo, which is actually the second former internet giant to be consumed by Verizon, which of course supplies all the big pipes now for you know its fiber optic uh, uh, connections for uh, internet and uh, and uh, cable television or. Uh, television over fiber optic. And what's interesting is, you know, Verizon has, uh, uh, you know, purchased Yahoo for uh, $4.8 billion. And, and I know that, that Yahoo's purchase price keeps kept on dropping. Uh, they also uh, acquired AOL uh, last year for $4.4 billion. So uh, Verizon has an interesting portfolio of of its uh, what we'll call uh, Internet 1.0 um, uh, organizations, and has additionally, I, and I think this is the reason we picked them up. Uh, we uh, Verizon picked them up uh, is uh, you know they have a lot of advertising, right, and and a lot of channels that way. But um, it's an interesting move for Verizon. I don't you know uh, pretend to know exactly uh, all the reasons for it but this consolidation of of internet 1.0 companies under the Verizon roof was uh was a notable news story for for 2016 wow so i'm going to ignore the main story and you really you put AOL and Yahoo in the same generation of internet companies like you know, I, I don't know, I'm doing this kind of on the fly, but I mean, to me, you know, it started with like Prodigy, CompuServe, so that might be 1.0, then AOL is like 2.0, it's the big behemoth that killed all those early companies. And then to me, Yahoo was part of the next wave of like, um, you know, the, the, the sort of clumsy browser-based search rubbish that Google went on to kill, essentially, right? Um, so when you put them, when you call it 1.0 and you put them both in the same bucket, my head exploded. I'm like, what? Like, um, I don't know. Like, yeah, well, talk, well, talk about that yeah, more, please. Yeah, all right. So, uh, you know, I'm just thinking 1996, what were the, the really dominant internet companies? You know, at that time, AOL was uh, pipes and content, right? Yeah. And uh, Yahoo was uh, essentially a giant links library. Uh, for folks who you know wanted to find things under specific categories, mm-hmm. so I and I do remember watching the Yahoo stock go through the roof in in uh, specifically in ninety six in ninety six right and and I remember the piles of AOL CDs uh, you know or or whatever they were that oh came in God. the mail all the time uh, to get you online. Um, so for me, that was the real touchstone of you know the first internet boom were those companies you know sort of. Uh, you know, they, they weren't of the exact same service nature, but they, uh, they, they were part of that experience for me, uh, late, late nineties internet boom. And, uh, I mean, remember AOL bought time Warner. That's how freaking important they were at, at one point. 
uh, and same you know same with Yahoo. They 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 were. Uh, Yahoo never got to the level that AOL got. Well, that's true. That is true. Uh, nonetheless, they, they were important companies in that first wave, and then and then I remember the Web 2.0 wave, so I sort of separated those two into uh, uh, separate buckets. Yeah, fair enough. That all, that's, that all sounds reasonable to me. I'm shocked that um, Yahoo's selling for more than AOL sold for, because, again, AOL was way more powerful than Yahoo. I mean, how, how far the mighty fall. And Yahoo itself has fallen quite a bit. I'm sure that the... The investors in Yahoo, or I guess now it's just uh, stockholders, right? But um, the people who went long on Yahoo are pulling their hair out. I'm talking to you, Bob Baxley. Oh, no. So so uh, Verizon has uh, consumed Yahoo, and, and we'll see where, uh, where Verizon takes it. Our, our next top story is a hardware story, and that's the, uh, uh, the poor folks at uh, Samsung uh, released the Galaxy Note 7, uh, which had all kinds of problems with its battery, uh, and, you know, basically blowing up uh, to the point that uh, in September of this year, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission issued a recall uh, of these phones, and uh, it said that the Galaxy Note 7 had been linked to 26 reports of burns and 55 reports of property damage, including fires in cars and a garage. Uh, not to mention, if you get on a plane and you have one of these phones, they they won't let you fly with it because, you know, it could could cause all sorts of problems in flight. So this is exceptionally notable because Samsung has been really – uh, starting to do battle with Apple, uh, you know. They've been doing battle. Yes. I mean, they've and, been mortal enemies, hammer and tongue at the top of this industry for a while. I mean, uh, not just, uh, you know, in, in terms of their products, but also their patents uh, and, and, and sort of uh, for dominance over this hardware space. And this, because of this, Samsung has taken such a hit and has really given Apple some breathing space. Uh, because as we noted on the show, Apple hasn't really progressed along the same lines of you know innovation and product design that it had uh, during Steve Jobs' tenure, um, and it was looking like Samsung might uh, really uh, be be starting to uh, take something away from Apple, but no longer when uh, uh, you have supply chain problems that involve you know including uh, a battery that overheats to the point of causing a fire. Uh, that is that you're not going to dominate the mobile hardware space with that. No, um, I mean it's for Samsung. Of course, it's super unfortunate. I'm I'm surprised these things don't happen more often. I mean, the last let me make sure I get this number right. I'm not just throwing rubbish out there. The last four cars I've owned have had recalls on one part or another. Um, now, cars are much more complicated products than phones, but they're also much more mature. Than, than handheld digital devices. But still, when you get into complex products, there's problems, you know, I mean, car recalls are all about, there's this problem with this one thing, we need to take that thing out and replace it with another thing. So I, I guess I'm more surprised there's not more stuff like this with handheld devices and um, bad luck for Samsung to be the ones that are, are getting uh, smoked by it. So next on our list is a fairly recent story, which is, WikiLeaks really dominating the conversation uh, in the U.S. election. I mean, to to the point where you could argue that uh, 
WikiLeaks really cost um, uh, Hillary Clinton the uh, the presidency. You think so? Do you want to make that argument? Should we talk about that? Uh, I I think you know within the context of this being a top story, yeah, that's um, you know just the sort of the sheer amount of embarrassing material that was uh, parceled out there on a weekly basis, uh, sort of added to the. Um, you know, if you if you look at the uh, you look at the number of votes that Hillary lost by, um, you know, it's just in, in the tens of thousands in very specific states. Right. That that made it um, uh, that basically tipped uh, 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 certain states so that the Electoral College uh, was won by President elect Trump. Um, so if you think there's I don't know, call it somewhere between 50 and, uh, you know, 70,000 votes that that needed to be swayed one way or the other. Uh, it's conceivable that uh, WikiLeaks, with its drumbeat of, you know, anti-Clinton leaks, you know, whether that was uh, part of their strategic uh, profile, which, you know, it, it very well could be, or, you know, they just, they claim that they're just putting information out there that shows up, right? Uh, but Wiki, WikiLeaks was definitely a focal point for, uh, negative Clinton uh, exposure, whether it came from her campaign manager, you know, uh, Podesta, or, uh, you know, that, that whole mess with the DNC uh, hacks, all, you know, all came from, uh, from WikiLeaks. So uh, it very well could have cost her the presidency. I think that's all reasonable. You know, reflecting back on the election, um, it, it felt like narrative to me. What I mean by narrative is, you know, Trump, he would have one thing after another that was ridiculous, right? I mean, things that in past years and past elections, past candidates, they, they would have just been out, you know, like go way back in the campaign, like to when, he, you know, he said John McCain was a loser for being a prisoner of war as opposed to a hero. And I don't know if the loser was the exact word he used, but that's basically what he said. And he stood by it all the way through. Other candidates would have been dead, DOA, the moment that that escaped their lips. So Trump had this, this critical mass of all this crap that came out of his mouth. And I think at the end of the campaign, the New York Times even did like a giant spread, like with a huge list of all the Twitter shenanigans of Trump, like just to show like... There's a million problems with this guy, wake up people. Um, but people didn't care, right? So I don't know if gaffes had much impact at all on this election. It felt like there was just this narrative of these people who are going to vote for Donald Trump come hell or high water, who just bowled their way through it, regardless of all the, the ludicrous stories that came out of him. So you, you may be correct, but... Um, I, I tend to think it's less about Hillary's problems and more about there was there was just a narrative going on um, this time where a lot of people were were pulling him forward as a candidate, no matter what he did, no matter what Hillary Clinton did, there weren't minds being changed. It was just a mass of people who were exerting their will and, and power in our political process. Yeah, I, I do think that all you said there is true about the Trump side of things. There also is the getting out the vote problem, which Hillary had, um, which, you know, you could directly, um, or at least you could argue, uh, negative uh, aspects that were highlighted about Hillary may not have have uh, um, done any more than uh, convinced 
Democrats to stay home. And if Democrats stay home, then, you know, that's uh, effectively uh, helping out uh, Donald Trump. So so I think if if there was a negative effect for Hillary, for her gaffes, just enough to uh, 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 create some doubt in the minds of voters and and have them stay home. I think I think that was um, uh, certainly had a, a a negative effect on uh, on the voting, at least as far as Hillary was concerned. Mm-hmm. Our next story is uh, about uh, Apple and uh, its run-in with the FBI earlier this year, which uh, of course stemmed from the San Bernardino. Uh, tragedy, the, the shootings there, and, and uh, the FBI was interested in, in cracking uh, the iPhone that, that one of the shooters had, and, and Apple would not, you know, uh, bend to the FBI and provide them with uh, the, the programming help to, you know, break into that phone, arguing that they were going to create a master key that could be used for... Um, uh, negative purposes uh, across a whole variety of phones, you know, once this particular task was done. And, and of course, the FBI argued that this would be a one-time thing, which I don't think even the FBI believed. Um, but nonetheless, that was their, uh, their excuse. Um, ultimately, d- this did not come to a head, although it did build up over a number of weeks. And we were expecting, uh, uh, who, you know, who knows, uh, Tim Cook getting hauled out of uh, uh you know, out of the Apple campus or something like that. It's like a Will McAvoy moment. <laughs> right. But it never came to that because yeah. the, uh, the FBI found a third party, you know, presumably some NSA affiliated hacker who was able to uh, break into the iPhone. And, and thus uh, Apple was able to hold on to its position uh, without having it really tested. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is an ongoing debate about data privacy, encryption, and, you know, how much uh, can the government get its fingers uh, into our digital life? Uh, and, you know, this is going to, this, this, this sort of face-off is going to happen again. Uh, but this was uh, significant, at least, uh, you know, in early 2016. Yeah, we talk about a lot of things on the show that might be considered controversial or difficult. Of all of them, this is the one I have the hardest time with. Um, because you know, I think I think that we need to keep ourselves safe in a lot of different ways, and um, I also um, you know believe in, in privacy and freedom of speech and, and a lot of things like that. So uh, I, I find it confusing actually um, trying to sort through the things around government, um, you know, government intrusion into our privacies. Uh, because part of me thinks it's dangerous, and part of me thinks it's necessary yeah that's the uh that's the tug of war there that i think happens uh for a lot of us so our last um top story top tech story of 2016 is the uh the the fall of theranos uh which you know is uh what was it a nine billion dollar company which uh you know who knows what their valuation will be at the end of this there there are all sorts of investor lawsuits being being queued up now but essentially you know theranos uh was this uh blood test company that you know claimed it could uh provide you know uh tests and and the data from these tests not from the vials of blood which you'd normally expect uh 
uh, from a medical test, but you know, basically the equivalent of a of a pin prick. Um, and you know, with with so much money invested in this company, and and uh, it, it seems too good to be true. And of course, uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, actually, you know, revealed that it was indeed too good to be true, and that uh, the many patents that that were filed, um, you know, none of them. Were, were really working. Uh, so, so as these lawsuits unfold, I, I don't think I've ever seen, um, I, I don't think I've, I've ever seen a uh, science and technology company fall as fast as uh, Theranos. And I, and I think part of it was, was due to the hype surrounding the company uh, to begin with. But, you know, the, uh, you know, I won't call this a tragedy, but this, uh, uh, this sort of, wreck is still is still unfolding as we speak so we, we don't know the end of the story but it's uh, uh definitely feels like like an icarus flying too close to the sun moment um for theranos so that's uh definitely had a uh, a significant contribution to uh the stories of 2016 yeah, you know, you, you mentioned to me at one point um, about how, you know, science can only move so fast. And that to me, that's the real big takeaway from this story is science technology companies, uh, you, you can't, at least in late 2016, bend the physics of science to the speed of technology. And the, the technology industry does move very quickly, is, you know, the agile, all the, all the business BS that makes that happen. Science simply at some point can't do that. And so trying to put the pressures of business technology onto science and drag science through that, it's, it's not a, a good fit. So, of course, we need science technology companies, but we need, to be, um, we, we need to be really aware of the fact that science and technology are very different things that need to be treated differently. And, you know, the, the things that are happening on the science side can't necessarily be bent to the same culture and velocity as the the technology side. So those were our top tech stories of 2016. Uh, please, you know, let us know uh, what what your top stories were, and if we uh, missed any that are, were super important, I'm, I'm sure we did. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 185 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett. And we'll see you next time.